welcome. Wonderful to see all of you here this morning. And if you're here this morning, I hope you came looking for something. I hope you came here looking for loving people, kind friendships, new people that you may want to learn more about. And I hope that we can all be those people that are alike to those looking for something. And I hope that we're all looking for something this morning. And hopefully what I say will give you pause for thought, will give you encouragement, and will help you along life's path. When people think of you, what comes to their mind? You may consider your family, maybe you made a great turkey, maybe you made a great fudge pie, and by the way, it was. Your family thinks certain things of you, but what about the rest of the world? Certainly, this is important. But what about the server at Los Agaves? Are you rude and impatient? Just a taco, after all. No need to get bent out of shape. What does the person at the red light think of you? Do you yell at them? Curse at them? Chances are they can't hear you, so that doesn't do any good either. What do your coworkers think of you? Now they hear you. They see you. Are you considered a troublemaker or a drama queen? Are you impatient with the cashier at Walmart? Chances are she's doing the very best she can on a minimum salary. You see, how you treat people you don't know and how you treat people that can't do anything for you says a lot about you. So what are you known for? This is called your reputation. And every person in this building should care about how other people see them. Our reputation represents the way others look at us and as such is both critically important and utterly trivial. Utterly trivial because if we are following Christ, we won't need others to think any way of us other than that person follows Christ. John 15, 18 says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. So living for Christ is going to cause some negative stuff to go your way. And as the apostles were, they were happy to suffer for the cause of Christ. So in this sense, you know, what other people think of us, as long as we are following Christ, as long as we are hated for his cause, let them think what they will, for we are following Christ and not man. However, our reputation is critically important because we live in a social network that we are trying to influence for Christ. John 13, 35 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. If you are known for things that don't show Christ, then how are you living for him? How are you showing his love? How are you loving your brethren if you're just creating conflict, if you're just creating negativity, if you're known for that rather than being known for being a solid follower of Christ? Your reputation does not stay hidden. Rather, it is a tool. It is a tool that you can use for good or for bad. 
But your reputation cannot stay hidden, and that reputation quite often makes it to this building. Your reputation precedes you, some may say. Does this concern you? Does it make you nervous? If so, you may have some work to do. You may have some apologizing to do as well. How this congregation shines in this community is based on how you act, each of us, when we are not here. If you want to be helpful for the cause of Christ, think about your reputation. Let's do that this morning. What are you known for? Many people are known for creating conflict, for losing their temper, and for having a potty mouth. These are the personal attributes that make the rounds quite easily, especially if people know where you go to church, whether it's here, Fountainhead, you know, Clearview. I want to get back. This is what happens because people discuss because they thought you were a Christian. Well, I thought, I thought they went to Burwell's Chapel. I thought they went to the White House congregation, to the Springfield congregation, because you have a bad reputation. That'll make it back here rather quickly. Other people are known for being a good listener, for being a problem solver, or being an encourager. Which one are you? And which one are you, really? Because I know you know the answers. Well, I'm supposed to do that, and I'm supposed to do that, but where does the rubber meet the road whenever you're out working? When you're at your jobs, when you're at your homes, who are you and what are you then? Many people are known for creating conflict. I'm going to hit on two major, two major ones. People create conflict because it makes them feel important. Because they are now at the center of attention. I see this in middle school all the time. They create conflict. Now who's everybody talking about? Everybody's talking about the one who got it started. Suddenly they're very important because their name is on everyone's lips at that time. And whenever you create conflict, you can actually control things. Be the first one to throw the punch, right? You've gotten the other person stumbling back. In creating conflict, it also shows that you are selfish. Because you may be creating conflict to get what you want. To have your way. To have it your way because nobody else matters rather than what is best for the group here at this congregation, what is best for your family, what is best for your co-workers. You'll create conflict because people, oh, I don't want to say that. I don't want to go address this person. It might have happened at Thanksgiving dinner. Better not bring up this, this, or this, or Aunt Who, or, or Cousin Bob. You know, they're, they're going to they're gonna blow up. we gotta, we got to walk softly around them. There's no way for a Christian to be. And one dynamic that comes up oftentimes in the workplace uh, at home is, is triangulation. You have person A who is creating the conflict between person B and person C. You hear what, do you hear what B said about you, C? Did you hear about that? And suddenly A is controlling what's going on between B and C because now they're at odds with each other. And person A is gaining something from this. This is called triangulation. Children will do it. If little Billy doesn't get what he wants from mom, he'll go to dad. Dad, did you know mom said this? Well, son, I said that you could have that. And suddenly mom and dad are fighting, and little Billy is the one who got it all started. See, he's controlling things by creating a conflict. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 7 says, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, 
He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Creating conflict, while is a social power, is not necessarily a Christian power. It's not necessarily something that we should be proud of. Because God says, the word of God here in Proverbs says, if you are to be pleasing to the Lord, you make even your enemies be at peace with you. That says something about you. You're not going to get along with everybody. But you can respect everyone. You can have some type of respect, some level for that. And work to have a win-win scenario, a win-win situation. Not always making enemies, not creating conflict so you can be in control. And you might not know you're doing that at the workplace, but everybody else does. They're just too afraid to tell you. So you've got to be real honest about this. What are you doing at your workplace, at school? Are you creating conflict just for personal gain, for your own amusement? Maybe so. But Proverbs says that a man who is pleasing to the Lord makes even his enemies to be at peace with him, not creating conflict. Are you known for losing your temper? Some people wear this like a badge of honor. I don't see that it's something to be proud of. It's a sign that you have ran out of ideas when you lose your temper. And now you just have to scare people. Certainly anger has its place, not against anger entirely. But as your first answer in difficult situations, it's time to learn something a little different. People get angry because they don't know what else to do, and they become frustrated. Well, there are a few other options. You can listen to people. You can try to understand what the other person might be going through. How about growing up a little bit? I would hope all of us here would want to be respected rather than feared. One of the things about anger is it is a secondary emotion. You feel it because you feel frustrated, because you are embarrassed, because you are sad or scared. So you express these feelings through anger. Anger is secondary. It's not actually the primary emotion. Sometimes it is. <clears throat> Sometimes you're angry, you know, and that happens. But a lot of times, step back a little bit. Why am I yelling at my spouse? Why am I yelling at my child? It's because I don't know what else to do. So I've got to scare them, and I've got to do this to my coworker to make them act how I want them to act. And when you're known for losing your temper, you're not being somebody that Christ would look at and say, that's my servant, and I'm so proud of him or her. Proverbs 29, 22 says this, An angry man stirs up strife, and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. How's your life going right now? Going good? Is it going bad? Might be because of a hot temper. Because as you show this to other people, they, they tend to give it back. You ever lost your temper with somebody? I know all of us have in one way or another at some time or another. And that person will, will give it right back to you. You're not creating peace there. You're creating more conflict. And now you're creating conflict that will go outside the workplace, that will come here to church, that will stay in your family, and somebody's sleeping on the couch, you know. And so you've got this bad stuff that's going on, all because you lost your temper rather than sought for peace. So instead of creating conflict, why don't you create peace, work for peace? And instead of losing your temper, why don't you find a solution? Because it's the second thing in both of those sentences that we should be known for, not the other. 
not for creating conflict, not for losing our temper, which those are things of the world. That's what the old man used to do. It's what the old man used to do whenever he was living for himself. Now you're living for Christ and for every soul that you interact with. You are living for those people. And you've got to win them for Christ further by making peace, by finding a solution, by reaching out to those that are lost. So these are two very specific things that a lot of people are known for. Next, we're going to talk about your name. How is your name? Your name and what it's associated with deals with pretty much everything else. So a lot of the other sins that I could have mentioned but didn't, you think, boy, he didn't mention me, that's good, I'm known for this bad thing or that bad thing, I'm glad Brother Dale didn't say that. Well, now I'm talking about it. Because if you're known for some negative things, it's going to fall under this category. What is your name equated with? How do people react when your name is mentioned at Kroger, here at Jackson's Crossroads, next door, wherever, wherever it might be. What is your name associated with? Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 7 says, The memory of the righteous is blessed. A lot of people are missed during the holiday season. The person that's not at the table that used to be. A lot of people are missed these days. And those righteous people, boy, we think about them and we think about them fondly. But Proverbs says that the name of the wicked will rot. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 1 says, A good name is better than good ointment, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. So if I've got a cut or something, you know, I put a little Neosporin on it. Makes it feel pretty good. That ointment chills it out, dry hands, you know, puts lotion on, that's good. But here Ecclesiastes says that a good name is better than even that. That when your name is brought up, do people smile or do people just shake their head because of what you're known for? And while births are certainly celebrated, they're glorious things, they're grand things. One's death of a righteous person, that is something that can be looked at with fond thoughts as well. In Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 1, a good name is to be more desired than great wealth, favor, is better than silver or gold. Where is your name falling here? Is it along the lines of, you know, being favored better than silver or gold? Or is it rotting with the wicked? What you do, how you act, determines the answer to both of those questions because that is your reputation. And when your name is aligned with the Birdwell's Chapel Church of Christ, what does that say about us? People will come here or they won't come here because they know you. They'll come here because, wow, this this person, I know them, and they just got it together. I want to know what's happening at Birdwell's Chapel, meaning I want to know more about Jesus. I want to have more of that influence that's at Birdwell's Chapel. Through the teaching, through through the relationships, through the fellowship that's going on here, I want more of that. Or when people hear your name associated with us, they think, I'm not going there. And it's because of things you have done or have not done that's fueled your reputation that is now equated with this good congregation in one way or another. But some people don't care about their name being good either way or bad because they may be getting exactly what they want right where they are with what they're doing. If you're a bully at school, that gets you what you want. If you're a bully at work, that gets you what you want. So why should you change? 
But having a bad name pushes you away from Christ because you aren't feeding the Spirit. Because you're acting on fleshly things. You're acting on selfish desires. You're not feeding the Spirit, putting other people first. Thinking about those relationships that are, that are good and proper and that are part of a Christian life. Cornelius, considered by many to be the first Gentile convert, was well spoken of in Acts chapter 10 and verse 22. Not even a Christian yet, but he was well spoken of. They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews. Roman centurion, being spoken of by the Jews, that doesn't sound right. Well, now guess what? God wants him. God wants him to be a servant for him because he saw the good that he could do, how his name was going forth, and the Jews spoke well of this centurion? Doesn't that seem odd? You know, can, can any good thing come out of whatever county you're in? Yeah, they can because that's a, that's a good person. I know Dell Sadler from Smith County, and I, and I know other people from, I know people from Hickman County and Sumner County. I know those are good people. Your name being associated from where you're from, do people speak well of you? Or do they speak ill of you? Ananias, who heals Saul, later becoming Paul, from his blindness in Acts chapter 22, and verse 12, says this, A certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews. He was well spoken of. What about you? Is your name well spoken of? If you're not working on a good name, then what are you doing? What are you doing? If you don't leave your house every day thinking, I'm going to do better today. I'm going to do well for the Lord. I want others to see Christ in me. If you're not saying that, then what are you saying? What are you doing? Because God used good people with good names to do great things for Him. So what does your name do for Christ? Even though you might find yourself in, 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 an, odd, in an odd place with a, with a bad past, you know, you can have a good name now. Or if always being brought up in the church, what does, your, what does that say about you now? Maybe people think, well, I, I never thought they were a Christian. Is that what people say about you? I hope not. I hope not. What are the benefits of a good reputation? Certainly an eternal life. But as we look at the social aspect, pure and simple, what's a good reputation do for you. I think I've covered that a lot already, but let's look at a few more. In a 2010 article, Dr. Alex Lickerman gave the following list of three things. He mentions four, but three really apply to us today. Turn to Titus chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. We'll be reading there. First off, a good name can rescue you. You can't stop others from speaking bad about you if that's what their intention is. Because you're not going to please everyone, and no matter what you do, someone will have something bad to say about you. Hopefully because about your faith in Christ, or it's just something they made up. However, a good reputation can come to your rescue. If someone speaks poorly of you, and friends who really know you hear that, they can speak differently. They can speak the truth. Oh, he wouldn't ever do that. She wouldn't ever do that know them too well. So a good reputation can rescue you. Titus chapter 2 and verse 6. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible 
In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. Got a good reputation going right now. With purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. Your name needs to be beyond reproach so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. We are, in fact, all caretakers of one another's reputation in a society in which simply being accused is enough to render a conviction in the court of public opinion, we would all do well to presume not only innocence but goodness until facts prove otherwise. We all need to be kinder to one another. Instead, many of us are the next push on the gossip wagon ready to spread the word. Secondly, a good reputation provides you a target at which to keep aiming. Maybe you're humble. Maybe you have a great reputation. And you're humble about that. Sometimes you may not feel like you deserve your reputation. That it's better than what you actually are. So rather than lament your weaknesses, let your good reputation serve as motivation for you to try to improve yourself. So it provides a target for you to live up to. And maybe it's someone else's good reputation. You think, I want to be more like that person. And you can live towards them as well. As, as Paul said, follow me as I also follow Christ. That's how we should be today. And finally, a good reputation inspires others. Don't you want to inspire others to follow Christ? Inspire others to want to live a better life, free of, of pain that their decisions are creating in their lives, free of turmoil that creating conflict and losing one's temper is making for them. So if you live well, you can inspire other people to do the same. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 1 says, Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink, so a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. We can mess up our reputations very quickly. As in all things, it's harder to build than to destroy. Building a good reputation requires effort, patience, and time. Destroying a good reputation only requires a single moment's misstep. But if you've already got that good reputation built up, you can apologize, you can act different, and you can recover a lot easier. The secret to building a good reputation, well, what is that? Become a person who deserves one. Take consistent action that embodies the characteristics of Christ, because this is how you should want to shine. Having a reputation that whenever you leave a place, whenever you leave the room, people aren't glad you're gone, but they think, wow, what an inspiration. And I hope we'll all live that way. For our co-workers, for our children, for our spouses, for our Savior who is in heaven. May we all live to have a good reputation. If you've failed at this miserably, or even just a little, we can pray for you this morning, pray that your sins will be forgiven because you have created a bad reputation. That can be forgiven. Or if you're not a Christian, come forward this morning and be baptized. Become a Christian. That's how you do that. A lot of other things involved in salvation, faith, belief, grace. A lot of things involved in salvation. But one of those things that you can do right now is be baptized be added to the body of Christ. If you have a need this morning that we can help you with, please come forward now as we stand and sing.